Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I obviously got to send a huge shout-out and a thank you to Smoke Monster for filling in last week. He did a really awesome job, and that was the first time I'd ever gotten to listen to the Weekly Roundup and experience it the way everybody else does, because I only wrote a few of the articles last week. That was taken up by Smoke Monster and a bunch of the new people that were contributing. Also a huge shout-out and thank you to them as well, but um, it was really cool, and it was the exact experience that I was hoping everybody that watches and listens gets. Um, I was in LA. I turned on the roundup. I had checked it to make sure everything was okay, but I didn't really listen, listen. So I threw it on in my car, audio only. And as I'm driving, I heard about a lot of things that I thought were cool that were like, all right, neat. You know, glad I heard about that. But there were a few things that I was like, whoa, what is he talking about? I really want to learn more. And then I went back to the article that was written and then went from there. So uh, that is the exact experience that I hope everybody else has. And I felt, or it felt really good that I got to be on the other side of that for once. So a huge thank you to Smoke Monster. Um, also, I eventually I'm going to have to have a little bit more fill-ins than, you know, once ever, because uh, the amount of work behind the scenes stuff I got done last week was pretty crazy. So um, I hope to continue to do that. And that's something I really, um, I don't know the best way to communicate that to everybody. I don't know if it's social media posts or what, but I'm lucky enough to, to be part of a few different projects that are going on. And I really love to be able to work on them and, and kind of just help move them along or even just be a cheerleader on the side sometimes that actually is kind of a help so either way um i I really appreciate that smoke monster jumped in and uh, i think we'll eventually see a few more people jumping in to do that as well but either way uh i was really happy and i hope everybody else enjoyed it so let's jump into this week's news I'd like to start out by talking about the two interviews I did since the last time I was on camera for the podcast and give a huge thank you to both people. First, I got a chance to talk to Akari, who designed the SD to SNES. I've been a huge fan of his work for a while, and we've talked here and there, sort of, but this was the first actual real conversation we got into, uh, and it was great. He seems like such a cool guy, and I'm so appreciative of his work. Um, anybody that's even remotely interested in the SD to SNES or anything like that should definitely give it a listen. Uh, and of course, I met Super G in person again and was able to sit down at HG Retrovision's office and do the interview. Um, I was really bummed out that my microphone went out halfway through, uh, so I, I started bitching to some of my friends that do more professional videos, and they all had a story about how something sort of similar happens. So. I was considering just gutting my whole setup and and buying new audio equipment, but I think this is one of those live and learn. Like, always make sure to to check my my Tascam recorders multiple times throughout the interview and stuff like that. But um, the important thing is that Super G's mic was perfect the whole time, so it's probably for the best. That way you only have to hear me droning from behind towards the end of the video and not, uh, not all the way up front, but... Either way, both I thought were great interviews. I enjoyed both of them, and I really liked hanging out with Super G in person. It was the second time I hung out with him, and uh, he's a blast. We were able to hang out with Stee and Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI, and just kind of chill in Chicago and have a good time. So uh, thanks very much to both of them, and I highly recommend listening to both of those interviews if you haven't already. Now some news on the Mr. FPGA project. Um, I think... 
normally I'm probably going to take each one of these and explain them individually, but this week there's a lot of updates and a lot of smaller things, so I'm just going to combine them into one segment, uh, but I probably won't do that in the future. Anyway, uh, first and foremost, Smoke Monster found the cheapest place to buy the DE10 Nano, which is really the root device of this whole thing, and it has the actual FPGA chip on it. So it's 110 with free overnight shipping, which is pretty cool. So uh, just follow the link below for that. Uh, next, Smoke Monster also did a write-up on all of the cores that you could run without any of the add-on boards. Meaning if you just buy that $110 device and an SD card, I guess you could even use the SD card that comes with it, but you'll want a bigger one. Um, there are still a ton of cores that you could run right on that. And I myself had been testing it that way until I got my I.O. board and RAM board in. And it's fun. Um, you know, you're limited to HDMI, but there's still plenty to play with. Um, next, a few people were working on and updating their cores. Uh, one of them that really caught my eye was Furtech, that was saying that he might be able to get his Neo Geo core running on the Mister. Uh, no, um, you know, no promises yet, but it's at least something that could be possible. Uh, and once again, I'm, I'm very sorry to Furtech. I try not to bug people, but uh, when I saw uh, all of the progress on his Neo Geo FPGA, the first thing I did was uh, message him and ask about this, and apparently like a hundred other people did as well. So, sorry to bug you, my friend. <laughs> uh, next, there is now a cycle-accurate Atari ST core, which the Atari ST is based off of the Motorola 68000 processor. So that means every other console that's based off of that processor could now have improved and more accurate performance not just the Atari ST. So that's cool. Um, hopefully that'll start trickling down the line. Um, there's also a bit of an update to the Sega Genesis core that adds a few tweaks and some bug fixes. Um, I've only played with the Genesis core a little bit, but it was good enough to, to make me want to revisit it again once my full kit's assembled and play it on an RGB monitor. Because, um, you know, the Super Nintendo and the Genesis are the consoles that I know inside and out. So I could usually pick out bugs pretty quickly with, uh, with anything Genesis related. So hopefully I'll have time to get to that this week. Um, and finally, Smoke Monster did a very fun telethon last Saturday night uh, where he had a bunch of guests to go on and talk about the Mr. and donate to the uh, original developer of it. So uh, he has that one up there for anybody that missed it and wants to listen. It was pretty fun. I personally was exhausted and it was midnight when I, when I did it. So my segment's mostly useless. Sorry about that. Not my usual loudmouth self, but uh, I tried. <laughs> but everybody else, all the other guests were great. So that's, uh, that's my short, short version of the, the Mr. updates. And uh, like I said, when, uh, from now on, I think I'm going to spend more time on each. There were just a whole bunch of little updates that I needed to catch up on. So that's why I just kind of combined them all into one for this time. Someone just posted a video and a rundown of their consoleized Atari Lynx. And they basically built it into an Atari 2600, which I thought was pretty neat. So uh, it's not a kit that's up for sale or anything. It was just a cool hack somebody did that they posted a video of, and I felt like sharing. Intellivision revealed more information about their Amico console at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Um, and the key points is that it's going to be between $150 and $180. Um, and that games were going to be targeting the $8 range or less. Uh, and that it's supposedly uh, supposedly a dedicated 2D modern system that would be easier to program for. So my only question to all of that is, why would programmers 
programmed their games for this when they could do similar things on the Switch, on Android, and on iOS. Uh, and why would people buy this when they could buy a Switch, an Android, or an iOS device? So, um, you know, the their presentation didn't solidify those answers for me. And every time I see projects like this, I hope it's awesome. I hope it's something that no one's thought of before that turns out to be a fun and incredible thing. But I just, uh, I think the the reveal left me asking more questions than I would have before it. So I'll keep everybody posted. I'll keep a positive attitude about it. But I think it's rightful to say that we should keep our expectations in check for this one. The Chinese company Huawei just announced what looks to be a Nintendo Switch clone telephone thing. Um, I'm not really sure what the purpose of this is, but it's a device that's going to run about $1,000. That's a phablet with a 1080p OLED screen. um, And it's going to have an attachment to basically turn it into what a Nintendo Switch is. So I'm not really sure what the point of this is. I could totally see if they were aiming for a much cheaper device or a direct competitor just aimed at the Chinese market, but something more expensive that doesn't have the Nintendo library on it. It seemed like a a neat thing to talk about, but at the moment, unless I'm missing something, definitely not something I'd be interested in purchasing. It looks like more companies are starting to sell Sega Saturn controllers, which probably means that one company in Asia made a ton of them and is OEM reselling them to other places. Uh, But Saturn's controller is now up for sale for about $16 and looks strikingly similar to the old school controller. So it's probably made in the same factory. Um, And the Retrobit wireless ones are up for pre-order on Amazon UK. I'm not sure if they're up for pre-order anywhere else yet, but those are the ones that I'm pretty interested in because while I don't usually use wireless controllers when I'm, you know, hardcore gaming, when I'm really into something or, you know, playing for a few hours getting sucked into a game, I use them all the time for testing and just for casual play. And I think they're really incredible, especially for anybody that does any kind of testing at all. If you're a type of tinkerer and you have a setup that's, you know, not all right in front of you, having a wireless controller makes everything so much easier. So it's good to see more love for the Saturn. Uh, I really wish there would be somebody making new versions of the Genesis 3-button controller. Maybe I'm one of the only people on the planet that loves that, but that is one of my favorite controllers ever. Uh, second only to the Super Nintendo controller, but I still love the Saturn ones, so it's cool that we're starting to see more of them. And it's also good that we're starting to see more third-party, so that any of those hacks that people have come out with, like the wireless hacks or uh, other things, now we could use the third-party controllers rather than have to cannibalize a real Saturn controller. The source code for the arcade, PlayStation, and PC versions of Mortal Kombat 3 was leaked, along with Mortal Kombat Trilogy for the N64. So this is some pretty awesome news because this could potentially lead to some fan hacks that give the fans what we've wanted since the 90s pretty much in that Mortal Kombat 3 was a good game but it was missing a lot of characters. So when Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 came out, that was pretty cool because it brought back favorites like Scorpion, my favorite character. And then Mortal um, the Mortal Kombat Trilogy added even more stuff and supposedly there was an arcade prototype shown off but never released. They stuck to just the N64 version. And all of the home versions of either Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 or Trilogy had different, uh, you know, different options and kind of different bonuses for each version. So maybe if we're super lucky, this might lead to one fan hack that has everything all in one. 
And I think it would be pretty incredible to have the arcade version of Mortal Kombat Trilogy someday. I have my UMK3 board right there. I'm just waiting on my Hass to come in. Uh, and I'm just excited to see what people will do with this. Um, you know, it's kind of mixed feelings because with source code leaked, you know, what if they were planning on doing something with the game? Will this take away from that or will this just add to the hype? So that is, uh, you know, the greedy pirate in me is very happy that it was released. I just hope this doesn't take away from something that maybe the Mortal Kombat team had been planning. But either way, I want something to come out that's Mortal Kombat related that's uh, in the same vein as the originals. Social media kind of lit up this week when a blog post, not me, sort of incorrectly interpreted what was going on with limited run games and their deal with Best Buy. The blog post didn't really get it wrong, but it was enough to uh, to piss a lot of people off because they misunderstood what was happening. Um, I reached out to Josh Fairhurst, the owner, who was very upset about the whole thing because uh, I think he was trying very hard to convey to all of his customers that there wouldn't be a problem or an issue. So, for, shockingly, I'm 100% on the side of limited run games on this one. I don't think they did anything wrong, but let me explain what happened and maybe you guys decide. So Limited Run Games has always sold a portion of their runs to stores. Um, Hopefully, mostly mom-and-pop stores, but, you know, whatever. There's always a certain amount allotted to stores for physical sale, which I think is, is awesome. Part of that now is going to be some releases will be sold in very limited quantities through Best Buy. So not the normal 100,000 copy that Best Buy would normally accept. Probably, Josh, I believe, said it was more along the lines of 20,000 copies. But the point is that it's still going to be only one run of the games. Um, There's still going to be very extra limited, limited squared releases um, that will only be available through them. And there's still never going to be a reprint of games. So people that already bought a game or had to scalp it on eBay and pay a lot for it don't have to worry about that game suddenly plummeting in value because it's only for newer games. And the only exception was the two games that were recently released. Um, I believe it was Ukulele and Golf Story. But in the initial release of those games, Limited Run was very honest about saying that they're working on a a certain release of this going into Best Buy. So I would assume it's not the super limited version. Uh, But either way, I mean, it was completely honest and uh, upfront before people purchased those games. So I think the controversy was that people thought that the game that they had bought was now going to be re-released through Best Buy and therefore worthless. Um, which is definitely not the case. You know, limited run games, uh, I wasn't sure what to think of them when I tried to buy Night Trap on PS4 last year. I had them on interviewed. I was extremely, um, I don't want to say hard on them because I certainly wasn't rude, but I, I didn't accept anything for an answer and they didn't try to give me any bullshit. They were very honest. And I left that interview walking away from that company seeing a, an honest group of people telling everybody outright what they're doing. They have a limited amount of games because they don't want to have stock to carry because then they couldn't afford to carry stock and do all the extra work that goes after it. So their goal was always to make just enough for everybody to get one, but not enough to have enough left over. Sometimes they hit it right away. Sometimes they grossly underestimated how many people would want, resulting in things like my experience where I logged on, you know, the moment 10 o'clock hit and it just was a nightmare. So... To me, I mean, Limited Run Games is trying their best to cater to both collectors and to gamers, 
which is a really hard thing to do because, you know, gamers just want to buy their games and play them. They don't want a digital copy because they don't want to have to worry about selling the console or the digital stores going down. They just want to play a game and then have that on their shelf for whenever they want to go back to it. Whereas collectors, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but collectors are in it for the collection, knowing they have it, knowing they have something rare, possibly even knowing they have something worth something. And of course, the dirty resellers are always trying to put them on eBay and scalp people, which really sucks. Um, but either way, that's not who Limited Run was catering for. So, you know, they needed to build the hype to, in order to sell the games or else they couldn't stay in business. So my hope, personally, as somebody that's not affiliated with them at all and is not really a collector... I hope that eventually this leads to them being able to release all the physical games they want uh, and then having a generic version, meaning like a standard case and, you know, just a nice looking game, uh, widespread through Best Buy, easily available through them on their web store, and then have a very limited collector's edition um, that's, you know, uh, a low amount so people who are into the collecting and who are into, you know, refreshing every 10 seconds to get their game you know, you could have that excitement still, and other gamers could still get what they want, maybe without packing artwork and extra stuff. So I hope there's a happy medium for everybody, and I really hope that company is able to do a lot more stuff like this, because I genuinely think that having them around is way better than not. That because of them directly, a ton of games that would have never gone to physical release are now available physically. So, um, And I will say that I bought the Switch version of Night Trap from them a week after it went on sale, and it was just as painless as every other store. I bought it. They said it's going to arrive at about this date. It arrived about that date in perfect condition. So, um, you know, I still choose to not support the collector side. Um, you'll never see me refreshing the screen at 10 a.m. ever again, and you certainly will never see me buy something scalped like that on eBay. But... You know, I really hope that the other side of their business does great and they could continue. So uh, I know this probably wasn't what the opinion that a lot of you may have thought that I would have had, but they're just honest businessmen trying to, or business people, whatever, trying to make, trying to make their living and they figured out their little niche. So I don't think this was uh, anything negative. I don't think they did anything wrong and I hope that they can continue down this path so th those of us that just want to play the game can just play the game. The team behind the Collector Vision Phoenix said that they were going to add Atari 2600 support to their FPGA console. Uh, they said that at the moment it could only be done through the SD card, but they will have a cartridge adapter available somewhat after launch so you could play original 2600 carts on it. Uh, you know, I think stuff like this is pretty cool. Uh, I really think that we need more higher quality solutions to playing older games. I'm really tired of having no other things to suggest to people than, you know, the Coleco Vision flashback for a hundred bucks where you can't even play original carts. And, you know, the Retron 77 isn't the worst thing out there, but it's not the greatest 2600. And it, it just really stinks that there's no middle ground. The only way is to find the original consoles, have them refurbished, then do RGB mods, then find upscalers, then, you know, it just... There's no middle ground. You either have to be super into it and spend a ton of money or buy one of these flashback consoles. Or I guess you could probably try to find one. If you already have your old console, you could find a cheap CRT and just play it through RF, which is certainly better than a lot of these uh, emulation HDMI solutions. 
but I still wouldn't call that middle ground because you know what if what are the chances of that console not needing something you know most likely it's going to need a voltage regulator and some caps at least for the twenty six hundred so I, I hope more projects like this get funded. I hope stuff like this becomes a good middle ground solution for people because I do run into people all the time that would drop. 150-ish dollars on something that could do digital and analog, play their cartridges and SD, and just have a solid solution. Um, you know, I think 200 bucks is a little expensive, but I don't think there's anything this team could do to make it cheaper. So I'm by no means trying to accuse them of price gouging. I just, I think with the cost of, uh, the, cost of the console and the cost of the FPGA chip, I think that's the best they could do. Uh, and I'm not sure if they're even going to make their funding. You know, they've uh, they're at about ninety thousand pledged of the two hundred and thirty thousand dollar goal with eight days left. So that's not even half. So you know, I hope this console works out. I, I hope that uh, more projects like it work out, and I wish them the best. Um, you know, we did kind of tease it a little bit on the retro roundtable, but we were really just kind of teasing the ColecoVision name which was tarnished by the Coleco Chameleon that had nothing to do with this at, uh, whatsoever so I guess a lot of people must have taken that the wrong way I heard some people complaining about it but whatever uh, me personally uh, as I've talked about before um, I don't love these games and uh, the same way I love my favorite consoles Super Nintendo and Genesis but there is one game BC's Quest for Tile Tires that the only console you could play it on is Coleco so, uh, you know, just even stuff like that alone, being able to play a very fun game from when I was a kid, the way it was meant to be played, would be awesome. So, I wish the team the best, I hope it gets funded, and I hope all the Coleco and 2600 fans have another choice of something to buy. Sony just confirmed the lineup that's going to be included with their PlayStation Classic console. And of course, you know, when you have a system like the PlayStation with so many amazing games on it, there's no way that everybody's going to be pleased with the game lineup. So I get that. But I did find it absolutely hilarious that Symphony of the Night is not on here. And coincidentally, now you could buy a special edition of it on PlayStation 4. So, you know, whatever. Uh, I, I think I like the games on here. They're not my favorite PlayStation games. Rayman's pretty awesome, though. But... Uh, I think for me personally, I'll probably borrow one to play with, but uh, I don't really see myself using one of these the same way I don't see myself using really any of the other classic consoles. I would like to at least test it to see if they've changed any of the PlayStation 1 emulation, because we're, uh, I'm not sure if anybody caught the last Retro Roundtable, but we were talking about uh, how Sony might have used the wrong chip to write their emulator off of for some of their later PS or earlier PS1 emulations and then fixed it later. It's a really long story that I want to get into. Uh, check out the roundtable if you're into it, but it's not a huge difference. It's not, you know, it's not like uh, the difference between a one chip and a two or three chips NES, uh, but it still was something that other people had figured out. So I guess we'll find out in about a month. Genovi's Retro Impressions just released part 3 of his unreleased 3DO M2 games. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, Genovi has certainly gained my trust that uh, I'm sure it's a good video. 
the only thing, I don't want to call it a mistake because I make, I don't know, like a hundred mistakes every one of these podcasts, but I think Smoke Monster skipped over the fact that these are unreleased M2 games. So these were games that were supposed to be for the follow-up console to the 3DO, which is kind of why these videos fascinate me so much because 3DO is pretty far down the line in their successor, and this console, it looked like, uh, it got to the point where certain versions of it even show up on eBay from now, uh, every now and then. So you, I, uh, you could play, I think, whatever ones of these games have been leaked. So uh, pretty neat. Um, I can't wait to watch it, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be as good as part one and two. The team behind Ukulele announced that they're going to be adding N64-style filters to the game through a downloadable update, which... You know, I have such mixed feelings about that because I think it's awesome that uh, people who grew up with the N64 in the same time frame that I grew up with the Nintendo and the Super Nintendo, now they have a filter that kind of gives you that nostalgic feel of what the N64 felt like. But on the other side of things, I have been fighting since day one to make the N64 not look like an N64. <laughs> so um, I think this is one of those fun updates that's kind of like the uh, Wonder Boy, A Dragon's Trap, where I really loved flipping over to the retro-style graphics now and then, and I'm so happy they did it. But as much of a retro nerd as I am, I predominantly played that on the newer graphics version because I thought they did a beautiful job. So um, I think that will probably be the case for most people. Uh, I think any N64 fan that owns ukulele would flip it back just to get that Banjo-Kazooie vibe, um, but would most likely play it with the, the regular modern graphics. Either way, as always, the more options, the better, and it's very cool that even after the release, the team is adding new stuff for free to the game. Watermelon Games had their Paprium release party and showed off what looked like a very early beta build of the game. There were no enemies, just the main characters, and it looked really bad overall. Certainly not this amazing game that they had promised. So uh, I don't think there's an official statement on what was up with that, I believe there were some rumors and some fake posts or something, but, um, you know, I hate to say it, but it doesn't look like they have a game here at all. I feel really bad for the people that pre-ordered it, but, I mean, that's rough. Uh, you know, you would think that if they had anything at all, uh, they would show footage. So I could see, I could completely see a game being in the last stages of bug fixes and not wanting people to play it. Because what if they stumbled across that one bug that you're still working out? You know, it would make you look bad. So have some video footage of it or something, you know, or have a playable demo of only the first level or the first part of the first level. Have something that shows off that you have a real game uh, and just to get people's um, confidence back, but they kind of did the opposite, so uh, if I were a betting man I would say there's pretty much no game, but well, I guess we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's awesome. I hope they have something in the can and ready to go, and it's going to be the best Genesis game ever, but we'll see. Another prototype of a Wiimote with a GameCube connector was just found, this time at a Yahoo auction site in Japan, and a full write-up was just posted on ARS Technica, and while this is pretty cool, uh, I had forgotten uh, that this was already found a few years ago and posted on Assembler Games. I vaguely remember reading it, but it completely slipped my mind until somebody saw the post up on the website and reminded me about it. Thank you very much, dude. Uh, but it still begs the story of, of why was this used and what was its original creation. 
Not that it matters, I just think it would make an interesting story. Was this something that Nintendo had intended to be a GameCube add-on? Or were they just using the GameCube as their dev machine while they waited for final Wii hardware to be finished? Or were they just kind of testing both? Um, There's another link of somebody who had uh, a GameCube game that referenced Wii controllers and vice versa, which that kind of makes sense, because when the Wii was originally launched, there were tons of titles that were really made to work on both that could work with either motion controls or the GameCube controller, such as even Twilight Princess, the Zelda game. So uh, I still think it's an awesome find, and I still wanted to keep it in the roundup just in case anybody else hadn't heard of it, but I guess it's not new news. So uh, if you're interested, check it out, and at least there's some pretty cool pictures on both the new ARS technical link as well as the Assembler Games link. Dark Horse Comics has just released the Super Mario Encyclopedia on both hardcover and digital, and it seems like a really cool book filled with lots of Mario uh, Mario Brothers artwork showing different characters, levels, spin-offs. It looks really neat. It's the type of thing where if I had like a, a real-sized apartment or a house that I would love to have on the shelf and just have it be something that people flip through and they come over. But um, one thing that I definitely noticed is what the, the Amazon prices were way cheaper than everybody else's. So I don't know if there's a temporary sale or if they're just much cheaper than everybody else but the the link is in the post if anybody wants it uh it goes the links go directly to the limited edition version and the regular basic version for 25 and one thing i found about the amazon ads if you're using your phone to scroll through um see if there's an arrow because sometimes the limited one will pop up first and sometimes the other so you don't want to spend 60 dollars if all you wanted was the regular edition but um seems pretty neat uh, and you know if i Hopefully somebody I know will get one so I could flip through it, but I don't have room for any of that stuff, so I didn't get a chance to purchase. I'm saving my room and my coffee table for Evan Amos's book. I just launched a video on Dreamcast tips and tricks, but essentially it's just a video on how I like to use the Dreamcast, the different hardware I use and you know mods and practices that I like to do. So hopefully people will like it. Uh, I just launched it, so I really can't gauge feedback yet, but... You know, and it's hard for me too when I post these because when I rewatch them, all I see are mistakes. So the first couple of rounds, it was uh, editing stuff, so that's cool, that's easy, fix that right back up, re-render it. And then I start to overanalyze and think, man, I didn't do a good job explaining that, or what if it's interpreted the wrong way? And I try to put notes and stuff on there, so I just, I never know if it's any good until it's too late. And I do tend to obsess about these things. I was the same way recording music too. I'd record the same thing a hundred times and it would all sound like shit to me and some I'd have to have my friends come over and be like that one's good that one's not and it's kind of hard with these because a lot of my friends in the game world are also perfectionist and nothing's ever good enough for them either which I love by the way <laughs> I'm very appreciative of that so I guess that's my my long ranty way of saying I hope people like it but if you don't please tell me why uh, I don't mind this video is shit, just please explain why you think it's shit, and I'll try my best to learn from it. But I I think this is kind of a happy medium of of stuff, like a little bit fancier with some green screen work, but it still talks about tech stuff, and, you know, I guess I could just decide in the future how far I want to go with the green screen and the effects, how much I want to stick to, uh, you know, top-down modding videos, or if they should even be in the same video at all. Should I have separated this to a few? So I'd love to hear everybody's opinion. Please let me know. And uh, the one question that I would love to ask everybody, though, 
Uh, if you don't have time to post your opinion, but you know the answer to this, I'd rather know the answer. I could swear that over the years I have played a few games that require a button combination to force 240p mode. When I went back to research this and try again, I could only find Street Fighter 3 Third Strike. That's the one that I showed in the video, and that is absolutely true. You have to hold start and left while it's booting, uh, and while your cable is in 480i mode in order to get 240p out of it. But I went back to all the games that I thought required some kind of button combo, and they either would only work in 480i, or they booted directly to 240p anyway without needing one. So that's kind of a challenge when you're dealing with Dreamcast stuff, is you have to start to think, was I using original discs when I did these tests? Uh, was I using patched stuff? Do the patches uh, remove the need or add the need? Like, uh, So I basically got nothing. Uh, I figured, worst case scenario, uh, you had an in-depth demo on how to boot <laughs> Street Fighter III Third Strike into 240p mode. Um, but best case scenario, maybe we can get a database of all the games, uh, at the very least original discs, that require some kind of button combo for different modes. And I barely even touched the, uh, the whole games that can't boot in RGB, or th uh, it could only boot in composite, because that's kind of a whole other thing. I could have gone down a completely different path on that one. Uh, that was probably deserving of its own video, if that's something people want to see. So, either way, I'd uh, love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear if there are any other 240p games. And thanks so much to everybody that helped out with this one. Um, you know, I was just trying to, always just trying to do better. You know, some things are, are never going to be perfect. I'm never going to have the perfect explanation of something. I'll never have the perfect analogy. But uh, bad mistakes can be avoided, and that's what I'm really trying for. So, hopefully I worded things all right in this one. There's only one or two mistakes that still kind of bug me when I, I went back and watched the video, but I don't know. Let me know what you guys think, um, and uh, hopefully this one will do a, a video that does well. All right, on to this month's Discord mail-in giveaway. This month I have the Otaku Store SCART Switch. Um, I really like this thing a lot. It's my favorite of the cheaper switches, so if people say they don't want to spend their money on a G-SCART switch right away, I say start with this and then save up for the better solutions. It's a manual switch. It's got dual outputs, but not simultaneous outputs. So you could choose between the uh, RCAs, which might be helpful for BNC to RCA, or just the SCART output. But either way, I think it's a pretty cool addition. Um, as always, uh, you guys know where to post to get your names entered into this. And I just, uh, you know, I think this is a cool thing for people that either need, uh, need to replace their entry-level switch or need a second switch somewhere. I never did a review on it, so maybe I'll, I'll hurry up and get one out before I mail this out next week. But overall, all I could say is, for the money that these things cost, I can't think of anything else in the price range that's better. I obviously prefer the G-SCART switch because of all the tons of options and automatic switching, but you get what you pay for, and I think the price fits both of those devices very well. So hopefully whoever gets this, this will be a good use for them. Uh, and I'm sorry it's not the model with the case, but um, when I got this one, they hadn't offered the cases yet. So, uh, you know, it comes with a nice little foam and some feet on the bottom, so you could mount it to a piece of wood or just leave the foam on it like I have. But Either way, hopefully you guys think this is a decent giveaway, and um, the drawing will be, of course, next week. Well, that's it for this week. 
I got to give another huge shout out and thank you to Smoke Monster for doing a great job filling in last week. And I also want to thank all the writers that contributed because it's really great to see other people's perspectives on this stuff or people that are in the, in the loop of certain subjects and get things posted before I would have found it. So if anybody else is interested, please let me know. The end goal has always been and is still very much to make this a community-driven site. And uh, I'm really aiming for that and trying my best for it to get there. It's going to take time. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm only human. Uh, so let's all try and do this together. And anybody that wants to contribute, you're more than welcome. So uh, please let me know what you think if you've had any experience writing articles. Uh, and once again, to all the people that have been doing it, thank you again so much. As always, thank you to my Patreons as well, because without you guys, none of these videos could happen. So thank you very much, and I'll see you all next week. 